In the 1990s, an American political scientist, Samuel Huntington, published a book called Clash of Civilizations. And about the same time, another political scientist, Francis Fukuyama, wrote his thesis called The End of History. Both books generated a lot of speculation. Would Huntington's ideas about cultural and religious identities be the primary source of future conflict in the world? Or would Fukuyama's view prevail that the global spread of liberal democracies and capitalism would become the final form of world government? Well, in hindsight, neither view has held up very well into the 21st century. So much for theories of the 1990s. But now, today's speculation is whether the Chinese Communists or the West will prevail. But wait a minute. Doesn't this Bible have something to say about all of this? Is our future in the political, economic, and religious machinations of humanity or in God's hands? The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. I'm Christine Darg. Speculating about the future is certainly nothing new, and eschatologists, that's those who study the future, are having a field day. 2,000 years ago, there was an intense rivalry about how mankind should be organized. Ancient Israel had been occupied by Greek culture ever since Alexander the Great marched into the nation around 330 B.C., for several centuries, the Jewish people were exposed to Greek ideas and perceptions of the world, yet they somehow managed to preserve their identity as the chosen people of God. They managed to maintain their faith in the Mosaic tradition and Levitical way of life. But there was always tension between the Jews and the Greek mindset. In fact, by 168 BC, the Greek ruler Antiochus Epiphanes had provoked the Jews to outright rebellion because he desecrated the Jewish temple, a despicable act known in the Bible as the abomination that made desolate, which was a forerunner of an event in the future according to Jesus and other Bible prophecies. But Greek influence over ancient Israel also faded as the Roman Republic annexed the region shortly before the birth of Jesus. But even in the earliest days of the church, the Apostle Paul still viewed his world as something of a division between Greek, that is pagan thought, and his grounding and upbringing as an Orthodox Jew. You can hear all of this conflict going on in Paul's letter to the believers in Rome. In fact, he wrote in Romans chapter 1, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. For, Paul said, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and foolish. 
So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For Paul says, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written in the Hebrew scriptures, the righteous shall live by faith. So Paul acknowledged that the good news of Jesus overcomes all cultural differences and is freely available to both the deeply spiritual Jewish people and also to pagans or barbarians, as Paul called them. Even then, it was the clash of civilizations in Paul's day, and that's where our world is also continue to head. A clash of civilizations today. The triumph of capitalism and democracy or the further ascendancy of communism is going to be wokeism versus populism. Well, the Bible has some definite details for what is in store. But here's a very serious question. How can we convince our skeptical, artificial intelligence deceived generation to accept and even comprehend what Jesus and the prophets and what the book of Revelation all assure us is coming in the future? For believers, our situation is rather similar to what Paul encountered in his travels around the ancient Roman world. Paul observed that people were accepting the worship of man-made idols. They were reveling in pagan rituals and societies not only condoned immorality, but even sanctioned immorality in their laws, like today. It's interesting that Greek mythology explored our dilemma centuries ago and that there's really nothing new under the sun the myth goes that a beautiful princess, Cassandra of Troy, was blessed by the god Apollo with a gift of being able to see into the future. But when Cassandra refused the advances of Apollo, he placed her under a curse. And the curse was that in spite of her prophetic gift, no one would believe her words. The Greek invaders of Troy had a scheme to send a gift to Troy of a giant wooden horse with soldiers hidden inside. Princess Cassandra was aware of the danger and she tried to warn her people, but nobody would listen to her. She cried out, fools, don't you know your doom? Why won't you believe me no matter how much I cry aloud? The story of Troy's doom is remembered even today by world governments who try to analyze various Trojan horses and the plans of potential enemies. Denying imminent trouble is known in the intelligence agencies today as the Cassandra effect. This Cassandra metaphor is also variously called the Cassandra syndrome or the Cassandra complex, the Cassandra phenomenon or the Cassandra predicament or even the Cassandra curse, relating to a situation when valid warnings or concerns are simply disbelieved by others. The Cassandra effect, not understanding danger signs, is still one of history's biggest mistakes. For example, in 1941, the Soviet leader Joseph Stalin simply would not accept reports from very reliable sources 
that Germany would invade Russia. And that denial cost millions of lives. In America today, many people refuse to hear and heed the warnings about forces that want to take over the country. As we go through life, we're all confronted with this so-called Cassandra effect from time to time. And the bottom line is this, can we hear various warnings of truth or do we choose not to believe? Whom shall we believe and what are the signs of imminent danger to all of us? What is the probability that we'll be facing another crisis, a, a pandemic, a collapse of finances, or a deadly war? The only certainty on which we can depend is to have faith in what Jesus accomplished for time and eternity on the cross. He died and carried the sins of the world, including yours and mine, on his own body. He rose again from the dead, and he is, even at this moment, in heaven interceding to God on our behalf. And whenever the Father decides, Jesus will return to earth to rule this world with a rod of iron. Isn't the certainty of the triumph of the cross that allows us to live securely by faith? It's the certainty that whatever happens tomorrow, believers are firmly secure for time and eternity in Jesus the Messiah. And that's the good news that Paul longed to share with the sin-polluted world of his day. And he proclaimed the message of the cross, both to the high-minded Greek intellectuals in Athens, and as well to the illiterate pagan slaves in Rome. Now, as the second coming of Jesus grows nearer by the day and by the hour, are we listening to the warnings in this word and watching the warnings against great end-time deception. China regularly jails Christian pastors for preaching the gospel, but such threats have come closer to home in the West. Authorities in some formerly Christian European countries are even arresting Christians sometimes for publicly reading certain parts of the Bible. And in some African and Middle Eastern nations, Christians are subjected to unspeakable evil and cruelty. In the midst of all the uncertainty of our times, it's important to remember that people are not our enemies. In fact, Ephesians 6.12 explains it well. And there Paul wrote, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against our fellow human beings, but our struggle is against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Satan and the powers of darkness are our real enemies. And the sin that so easily besets us is our enemy. We don't see people as our enemy. We have to view them as God sees them with love, as fellow human beings for whom Messiah also sacrificed his life and died to make atonement for all of our sins. Despite the growing disturbances and horrors of our times, we believers are not without hope or power because we have faith in the sovereignty of the living God. And 1 Timothy 6.15 calls him the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. 1 Chronicles 29.11 declares that God's sovereignty extends over the entire universe. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. 
for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Amen. But we can and must be always on the offensive, and God has given us the weapon of prayer. Prayer along with this sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, are the believer's offensive weapons. Well, in our Lord's farewell discourse, he spoke repeatedly of making prayer requests in his name. That means prayer in his authority. In John 14, 13, he said, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And in John 16, 24, Jesus said, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Also, we're told in 1 John 5, 14, and this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Well, part of the cancel culture of our time is that wicked persons want to cancel this Bible and all that it stands for. The so-called awake woke movement aims to reprogram human beings and cultures into a rebellious anti-biblical worldview, a conglomerate of humanism, Marxism, paganism, lawlessness, social justice, liberation theology, critical race theory, and so on and so forth. Thinking and truth telling are being punished, especially on college campuses. The stifling leftist censorship in major universities has been a growing concern for some time. And according to the Family Research Council, a new report has found one in three conservative academics and graduate students have been disciplined or threatened with discipline for their political views. And unsurprisingly, seven in 10 conservatives say that they now have to resort to self-censoring in their teaching, research, or academic discussions. Nevertheless, the scriptures are our supreme rule in faith and life. The Bible admonishes us to follow the Lord even in the midst of an unbelieving and increasingly intolerant society. We need to ask questions of the media and train ourselves to discern and reject what is false, untrue, and dangerous whenever we encounter it. We just can't automatically accept the interpretation of events and statements of politicians, newsreaders, Hollywood, or the media. Instead, the Bible teaches us very clearly that we must test the spirits. That's according to 1 John 4, 1, where the apostle said, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. We can't even count on any one source of information or news. We have to do our own research nowadays, finding multiple sources, even for the same story. We have to become our own fact checkers, which can be time consuming, but necessary. We also must be more discerning about what we hear from pulpits and what we accept from so many voices on the internet. We can't be deceived into some sort of Cassandra effect that mankind is somehow getting better. Just the opposite. 
A person may tell a lie or hear a lie often enough until he believes it to be the truth. In 2 Timothy 3:12 and 13 clearly warn us that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Messiah Jesus will be persecuted while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and themselves being deceived. That's the general law of depravity, that if men are not regenerated and not born again, they will always grow worse and sink deeper into sin. The commentaries say a form of godliness, a profession of Christian faith without a godly life often is allowed to pass while open profession of the truth as it is in Jesus and resolute attention to the duties of godliness that stirs up the world's scorn and enmity. The evildoers and deceivers are spoken of as advancing towards the worse, and history certainly has borne witness to the accuracy of the Apostle Paul's prophetic words. Another evil sign of our time due to increased technology is organ harvesting, whether it be through abortions or harvesting of fully grown human organs from victims in China or wherever human trafficking is going on. The Gatestone Institute reported that in Greece, 93 cases were sent for prosecution that involved Greek diplomats issuing visas to unaccompanied children in order to facilitate illegal removal of their organs. But according to Greece's former Minister of Foreign Affairs, the press just refused to write about this. And at the time, he also said that these cases were just the tip of the iceberg. Transplant organs are still being sourced from executed prisoners in China, according to an inquiry in London that was initiated by a campaign group that investigates this issue. An international tribunal in London has concluded that the organs of members of marginalized groups detained in Chinese prison camps are being forcefully harvested, sometimes when patients are still alive. An independent body tasked with investigating organ harvesting from prisoners of conscience in the authoritarian state claimed that detainees in Chinese prison camps are being killed for their organs to serve a booming transplant trade that brings in $1 billion annually. Along with members of the persecuted Falun Gong meditation activists, the tribunal claimed that it was possible that Uyghur Muslims are also being targeted for their organs to be harvested. The Uyghurs are an ethnic minority who are currently being detained in vast numbers in Western China. And I agree with my Jewish friends that I almost always reject Holocaust comparisons out of hand. But in the case of the Uyghurs, who are reportedly being threatened with genocide, I'm horrified that a politician can call China's concentration camps just a cultural difference. If you wonder how people could have remained silent in the early stages of the Holocaust, look no further than the reports dismissed out of hand about what's happening to the Uyghurs in China. So today, as we've been considering how people can all too easily be fooled by the so-called Cassandra deception, that is hearing truth and not being able to 
believe it or process it. 2 Corinthians 4.4 explains why. That verse has fascinated me for years. It says that the God of this age, and who's that? It's Satan. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Messiah, who is the image of God. So much deception could be going on concerning public medical mandates. Yet the judgment by the War Crimes Tribunal at Nuremberg in 1947 laid down standards to which physicians must conform when carrying out experiments on human subjects. After the Holocaust, the judgment at Nuremberg established a standard of ethical medical behavior for post-World War II human rights. Amongst other requirements, the Nuremberg document stated the requirement of voluntary informed consent of human beings. The principle of voluntary informed consent protects the right of the individual to control his or her own body. The Nuremberg Code also recognized that medical risks must be weighed against any expected benefit. This code recognized that doctors should avoid actions that could injure patients. And concerning permissible medical experiments, the Nuremberg Code of 1947 declared that the voluntary consent of the human subject is absolutely essential. Well, now, my reading this morning was from Mark chapter 13, and it sounds so relevant to our times that I want to share it with you. And hopefully, we are some of the ones who will not be deceived, but who will be able to hear and heed the admonitions of Jesus. He warned about end-time deception in Mark 13, and I'm going to start with verse 14. He said, But when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand. Then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains, and let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter in the house to take anything. Let him that is in the field not turn back again to take up his garment. But woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days and pray that your flight be not in the winter. For in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation, which God created until this time, neither shall ever be. And except that the Lord had shortened these days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's safe, whom he hath chosen, he shall shorten the days. And then if any man shall say to you, here is the Messiah, or lo, here is the Messiah there, do not believe him. For false messiahs and false prophets shall arise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But take heed, behold, I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars of heaven shall fall and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And then they shall see the son of man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost parts of the earth, 
to the uttermost part of heaven. Now, Jesus said, verse 28, learn the parable of the fig tree. Here, I believe he's speaking of the nation of Israel. When her branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So in like manner, when you shall see these things come to pass, know that it is near, even at the door. Truly, I say to you that this generation shall not pass until all these things come to pass. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour, no man knows, not even the angels in heaven, not of the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch therefore and pray, for you do not know when the time will be. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the keeper of the door to watch. Watch therefore, for you don't know when the master of the house will return, whether it's at evening or at midnight or at the rooster crowing or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, keep watch. Well, in all of this, at some point, a major conflict with Iran will erupt. And according to the Bible in Ezekiel 38, verse 5, it's all going to be part of an end time war. We don't know exactly when it will happen, but it could potentially be very soon. So as Jesus said, we have to stay awake and keep watch. Well, there's much more to share with you if time would permit, but you can always check out our website, exploits.tv, and that will bring you news on current and end time events regarding both the church and the nation of Israel. Our program is called Exploits. That's based upon Daniel 11.32, which declares the people who know their God will be strong and will do exploits, meaning will fulfill the works of the Lord in the remaining time before his imminent return. Please feel free to share your thoughts with me on social platforms. And don't forget, download our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app for your phones or tablets so you can view our videos wherever you go. Until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. Let's pray without ceasing. The grace of the Lord be with you. Maranatha, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Shalom. I'm Christine Darek.